This is Connected Nation, a podcast focused on all things broadband. From closing the digital divide to improving your internet speeds, we talk technology topics that impact all of us, our families, and our communities. On today's podcast, we talk with the author of the book entitled Farm Fresh Broadband, The Politics of Rural Connectivity. Learn how U.S. broadband policy may actually be expanding the rural-urban digital divide and how taking a new, more informed approach could close it. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Connected Nation. I'm Jessica Denson, and today we're talking with Dr. Christopher Ali, who is an associate professor in the Department of Media Studies and a Knight News Innovation Fellow at the Tau Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia University. Among many other accomplishments, Dr. Ali has held fellowships at the Benton Institute for Broadband and Society and the Global Future Council for the World Economic Forum. Most recently, he published the book entitled Farm Fresh Broadband, The Politics of Rural Connectivity. He's kindly agreed to join us today to discuss this publication. Welcome, Dr. Ali. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me. We're excited to talk to you. I've been Connect all of us at Connected Nation have been following your work. Um, we've talked to you before and personally, and I'm very excited to to read this book. So before we get into it, though, let's talk a little bit about your passion for the subject. You have a history and a body of research that's focused on rural connectivity. Explain why this has been important to you. I mean, what a, what a great place to 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 start off. Um, it's important for a number of reasons. One, um, you know, as, a, as an academic, as being employed as a, as a professional academic, this is something that academics don't talk about. We don't talk about the rural. We don't really talk about local. Um, and, and so that became really important to me to kind of fill these gaps. The other thing, and, and this is a passion that has certainly developed over the last five years of working on farm fresh broadband um, and, and this project on, on, on rural broadband, is just the, the the kind of misunderstanding we seem to have about rural America and what rural America is and looks like and feels like, and, you know, is experienced and how how life is experienced there. Just there just just doesn't seem to be um, a good kind of capturing of that. And that's something I really hope to do uh, in in the book. And for instance, one of the things that uh, I think we often think about when we think about the word rural is, of course, the the word farm. But rural America is so much more than farming and agriculture. That's an important part. But it's it's actually kind of a, in the minority of what of what you know a lot of rural communities look like. Um, and that's something I also really want to to frame the, with the book is the amount of the amazing amount of diversity in rural America. Did you really find that that there was a it's a diverse place that there's no one way that we can really define small town America or rural America? Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I was focusing on on Midwest rural communities, right, which does mean a lot more agriculture. But also, you know, I've talked to folks in rural Maine and which, you know, which is a lot of islands, um, Alaska, uh, which, of course, is is, is the tundra and, and significantly remote areas, the the wine regions of Oregon, uh, the Appalachian region, which is in my backyard, which is in the Appalachian Mountains. I mean, these are non farm. Well, I guess the vineyards are farms, but, you know, particularly in my backyard in, in Virginia, and I'm, you know, kind of rural adjacent here in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, the, the Appalachian Mountains are anything but farmland. Well, 
I want to delve a little bit more into your background and the fact that this is not your first book. This is not your first rodeo, so to speak. You've also published uh, Media Localism, The Policies of Place, which I find very interesting because I have a background in media. And the book really looked at not just supporting local media, but defining it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I really find that I, I, I feel like that there might be some synergy or some crossover in the idea of local media and, and rural and serving those areas. Would you say that's the case? Absolutely. And, and it's a, you know, definitions are so important. And because I approached my work through policy, my first book, Media Localism, was about local broadcasting policy in Canada, the United States, and the United Kingdom. And the, um, the different ways in which these three countries define the word local, which has different implications for, for instance, funding. Um, you, you know, what is local news? Is it news produced by a local television station? Is it using local talent? Is it news of interest to the local community? All of these have implications if we want to support a thriving local media ecosystem. Um, and it's something that I've noticed that regulators don't actually spend a lot of time thinking about. Instead, uh, as I wrote in that book, we tend to take the word local for granted, um, just exactly like we take the word rural for granted. And, and if we jump ahead now to rural broadband, you know, one of the really frustrating elements of rural broadband policy is the kind of bewildering number of definitions of the word rural in FCC policy and NTIA policy and USDA policy and the census policy. I mean, we don't have standard definitions, which makes it really difficult to A, target what is a rural area and B, make sure that we're giving them the support they need to thrive. I first learned of your work in 2018 when uh, you came, you were you were doing your research and you were actually in the field and you mentioned the Midwest states. You were going through a tour of the Midwest with I, I must mention your dog Tuna who was super cute and <laughs> wonderful. Um, of course, I want to get an update on Tuna, but share a little bit about your research and why you took that approach of actually going into the field and um, visiting several states, as well as maybe doing some other research in areas that you didn't go to personally. I mean, that, you know, it became such an important part of my research and, and such a shining light for me. Um, I originally, when I started this book, I uh, approached it like a policy scholar does. I read tens of thousands of pages of policy from Senate hearings to reports to FCC, USDA, NTIA, and anything and everything. And I did my policy analysis, and then I conducted my expert interviews with policymakers and I started to realize kind of halfway through, so this would have been at the end of 2017, that maybe my readers won't find the intricacies of broadband policy as fascinating and as captivating as I do, because broadband policy is not written for everyday people. It is so technical. It is so technological. It is so jargony, so wonky that it it's written to ex exclude people more than it's written, written to include people. So part of what I realized is that I needed to humanize the policy. I needed to put a human face on how broadband policy is lived or not lived throughout the country. And that's when I began planning what became the rural broadband road trip in the summer of 2018, um, in which Connected Nation was so vital. And I, I can't express um, adequately, um, my debt to Connected Nation to for helping me with this research. Um, uh, but it, it helped me shine a human light on the rural-urban digital divide. So it began, uh, Tuna and I drove 3,600 miles across the country, uh, starting obviously in Charlottesville, where we live, uh, ending up in Winnipeg, Canada, which is where my parents live. 
Uh, and we focus primarily on um, Appalachian and Midwestern uh, states. And again, we were focusing mainly, on, I say we because Tuna was, of course, my research assistant, um, focusing mainly in agricultural communities in the rural Midwest. Tuna Tuna is great. He is his uh, his ornery old man self. He's 10 years old now, uh, remains the greatest research assistant. Um, he's got a sister. He's got an eight-year-old Great Dane sister who treats him like a puppy because she's twice his size. Uh, and and together we form this uh, this kind of wonderful family. And I don't know if you know in the uh, in the dedication to the book, I actually I dedicate the book to my fiance Ben and to um, Tuna and Stella and and our dog, our other dog Titan, who passed away this summer. So we're a big old family. I I appreciate that. I love animals, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do as well. And Tuna was a, an amazing research assistant. Tuna had lots of great questions that I had to answer. <laughs> Needed some treats. <laughs> He is, Tuna has also been on the cover of two rural newspapers because of the rural broadband road trip. It was not about me coming to the rural America. It was about Tuna. It's, it's hard. It was hard to forget Tuna. Tuna's a hound dog, right? Let's just. Get <laughs> yes, he's a hound dog. He's a yeah. treeing walker coon hound. We will. I will um, provide a link to your Twitter so other people could follow along with your adventures and uh, and your research and but also check in on Tuna. Um, I'll put that in the description of this podcast. So let's move on to what what you learned through this, um, through this research and uh, maybe hit on a few key points in your book. Um, it could not, this topic could not be more timely with the pandemic. There's a new understanding, at least that's what I'm finding, um, working with connected nation is that people now understand that this is something that's not a luxury to have access to internet connectivity, but that is a need, um, to be part of the modern world, to take part in everything from remote learning to telework, to just even connecting with loved ones. Um, can you touch on a few topics? The You argue in your book that broadband policy is broken. You explained a little bit why. You touched on that the fact that people can't even understand it. But could you really explain what you think needs to happen um, when it comes to broadband policy to really see positive and real change? Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I like to describe the book um, as a, a tale of two stories. One, the failure of federal policy to close the digital divide in rural America and to a story of success. And that's the success of local communities who have connected themselves um, despite the abandonment of like the large private providers and, and the lack of support. So I see that broadband policy, and when I mean broadband policy, I mean broadband policy as it's set by federal agencies. So the Federal Communications Commission and uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture in particular. I say it's broken because it, it does lack coordination. So we've got kind of three cooks in the in the fire, right? We've got the FCC, the NTIA, and USDA, and they do not cooperate. Worse, uh, they don't really get along. Um, and and so one of the things we need to think about is we need a we need to appoint a lead agency, not necessarily about funding, but to lead policy deployment and policy development. Um, the infrastructure package uh, uh, makes that agency NTIA. Uh, which will be really interesting um, to see if the FCC is willing to cede some of its, um, you know, coveted power over there. So I, I say that it's broken because it lacks coordination. Um, it's out, also when it comes to funding, policy has largely favored what I call the largest and the loudest providers. And it is done so by giving them an incredible amount of money, you know, half a million dollars a year for almost a decade now. 
um, but with very little accountability, accountability and very little build-out requirements. In spite of that, it's been the smaller providers, the local providers, the regional providers, the municipalities, the telephone cooperatives, the electric cooperatives, who are really the ones connecting rural communities with what my friend John Salad calls high-performance broadband, right? Fiber. They're the ones getting fiber in the ground. Uh, and they're doing this with less than half the kind of support that we've given to um, you know, the century links and the frontiers and the wind streams of this world. So we have a policy system that favors the largest and the loudest. And that really undermines the amazing work done by local providers. So one of the things I argue in the book is that local broadband is the best broadband uh, because large, largely in part because of this accountability. So it's, 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 it's broken because of, of the, uh, the lack of coordination is broken because of this funding system. Um, and lastly, it's broken because it is really hard to apply for money. Like one of the things, one of the earliest things I did uh, in one of my interviews was someone saying, you know, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is apply for USDA loans. We shouldn't make it so hard for providers to do the work that they're supposed to do, which is provision. Um, knowing, of course, that broadband in rural America will never be really, will never turn a massive profit, which is why we subsidize it. Um, we need to make it easier. We need to make it easier on people to get broadband, which means making it more affordable. We need to make it easier for providers, particularly local and regional providers, to provide broadband. I would like to echo that point you made about um, how difficult it is to navigate the funding and applying for it. I have talked to small providers in Ohio, to Texas, and other parts of the country, just doing stories on what they're doing in a, you know the innovations they're making, and to all of them, every single one of them has said to me, it's so difficult for us to get to access that funding because we're small and we don't have somebody we can just dedicate to going through all of this. So I, I would like to echo that point and just share what I have heard as well. So what are some additional challenges and or opportunities that you see or that you've kind of uncovered? Was there anything that surprised you that you were like, oh, I didn't think of that um, while you were doing this research. Well, I mean, one of the big things that surprised me early on um, was, and now, of course, we all know this, right? But uh, mapping, like mapping remains awful, <laughs> um, you know, and and again, though, we, we see when the maps are done well, they're done more, they're done well at the state and local level better than they're done at the federal level, right? We all know the infamous Form 477 and, and the overly exaggerated deployment of the United States. And, and so mapping, right? Mapping has got to be first and foremost on our mind. So, so one of the things that was surprising to me in 2017, uh, but less surprising for any of us listening to this call probably in 2021, is the issue of mapping, right? The maps are awful. But where we're seeing maps succeed is at the state and local level. I mean, just look at Georgia, right? That map is fantastic. And a lot of local communities, local counties have done their own mapping to get at the, the lack of connectivity or the better understanding of connectivity. So that was some, certainly something, you know, four or five years ago that, that surprised me. But again, of course, um, was not at all surprising. The other thing that became really important in the book is the role of USDA in providing rural broadband. USDA has been involved in rural broadband since the 1990s. And of course, it was USDA through the Rural Electrification Administration in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s that brought electricity to rural America um, and then rural and then telephony to rural America. And, and so in the book, I call USDA this kind of reluctant regulator because um, 
you know, they're involved kind of somewhat and, and, but they, they have a tremendous amount of influence and I, for one, would love to see them kind of wield a little bit more of that, of that influence because they're also trusted throughout rural America. They've got these amazing extension offices that wouldn't it be great if we actually could empower the extension offices through adequate support to be able to promote broadband and to work with communities and counties to bring broadband there. And then the other, the, the other just kind of wonderful story, I think, in the book is in chapter four, where I profile uh, Rock County, Minnesota. And I had the great pleasure of spending some time in Rock County, uh, which is in the southwest corner of the state, uh, the nutcracker capital of the Midwest, as it calls itself. And they have these amazing digital champions. Their county administrator is just incredible. Their board of supervisors is incredible. They knew early on they wanted a fiber optic network and weren't going to settle for anything less. And they, there's so many great takeaways we can learn from Rock County. They partnered with a telephone cooperative, Alliance Communications. Minnesota, of course, is the leader in state broadband offices, and they got a grant there. And in, in the course of uh, 12 months, they built out a fiber optic network, while Alliance Communications did for them, that now passes 99% of houses. Um, in Rock County. So they become one of the most connected counties in, in the state of Minnesota. And so I know that, you know, there's no cookie cutter solution to the rural digital divide, but there's a lot of amazing takeaways that we can learn from the Rock County experience. That's interesting that they would be so connected because you really think of Minnesota as a rural area. And so that is in a rural state. So that it would, I'm sure there's some great examples there. And I just wrote them down, like talk to Rock County, Minnesota. <laughs> want a future podcast. Um, I, I only have a few more questions. I don't want to keep you all day. I know you have a, you're doing a, a media blitz on this book right now, but what would you like to see personally after your experience researching this? What do you think should be tackled first when it comes to closing the rural urban digital divide? Well, I think, you know, a lot is hinging on the infrastructure package and, and the infrastructure package was of course, really vague on, um, you know, a number of things. And one of the things I was, to be honest, disappointed about was that we lost the language around um, highlighting local broadband, nonprofit broadband, municipal broadband, cooperative broadband, which was kind of uh, in the early drafts, right? It was, it was kind of there. Um, and certainly the Biden administration uh, had it in, in its early language. And so a lot is going to come down to how NTA, if it gets passed, of course, how NTA writes the rules, because we've seen time and time again, the FCC fail um, at things like accountability and vetting of providers, right? We saw this in the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. Um, and I'm just, I am so worried that history will repeat itself when we have these large funding programs. Um, so I, I, you know, I would love to see the NTIA learn from history. Um, and, you know, if anyone from the NTIA is listening, I'd be happy to send a copy of my book along. Um, uh, you know, shameless plug there. But, you know, that's definitely something that we all need to be uh, looking out for. Um, I think the other thing we need to be looking out for is uh, the role that 5G is being hyped to play and the role that Starlink is being hyped to play. And the reason I want to emphasize this word hype is there's, there is potential there, but I get really worried when I talk to counties who say they are going to pause their broadband plans because Starlink is just around the corner or 5G is just around the corner because that's what the commercials are saying. And so we need to, we really need to cut through this hype uh, rural broadband provided by these by these kind of future technologies. I and I also but I do think I do really think that the future of broadband in rural communities is going to be local and it's going to be cooperative. Um, I'm I'm so excited that 
a lot of electric cooperatives are moving into broadband. Of course, I'm thrilled that there are, you know, that telephone cooperatives are also leading this charge and that that local smaller um, providers are are doing that work. And so we need a policy apparatus. We need to spotlight um, these local nonprofit cooperatives, um, all of the above, any of the above, to really learn from their experiences and champion their successes. Uh, and that's something I would love to see. And that's something, of course, uh, that, that you do at Connect Nation. That's something that the Institute for Local Self-Reliance is doing. Um, and I, so I love reading about these stories of, of community-driven successes. Well, there's so much great information and analysis on a complicated issue in your book that can provide a lot of guidance for our leaders, the NTIA, FCC, anyone. Um, so I would encourage people to get it. Um, again, it's Farm Fresh Broadband, The Politics of Rural Connectivity. It is available on Amazon as well as at national and local booksellers. I'll add a link in the description of this podcast. So if you'd like to purchase it, you can. Um, before I let you go, uh, Dr. Ali, what is next for you? Is there a, a res another research project on the on the um, horizon or are you just going to work on spreading the word about this current book? What's up? Well, you know, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, of course, I, I, I love having the opportunity to to speak with folks like you, Jess, and, and, and talk about Farm Fresh and the learning experiences um, therein. Uh, I am doing kind of three uh, projects um, to kind of continue this work in broadband deployment. The first is uh, working with counties here in Virginia, um, just wrapping up a study of where broadband falls in the, in the kind of planning priorities of Virginia counties and the role that counties play in broadband. This is something that really gets overlooked, right? We, we look at states, we look at localities, we don't look at counties. So I, I'm, I'm working on kind of understanding the role of counties. Um, I'm also looking really inwards at uh, the digital divide amongst post-secondary institutions. Uh, again, you know, I'm a professor at the University of Virginia, and we, like everyone else, were teaching on Zoom for the last year and a half. Um, but a number of my students did not have access to broadband or had, had poor access to broadband. And this probably doesn't surprise any of your readers. Um, but it's something that gets overlooked. We spend a lot of time talking about K-12 education and online performance, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about higher ed. So that's something I've been working on. And last but not least, uh, uh, a more ambitious project you could say is Farm Fresh Broadband going global. Um, I, I want to understand, or I'm working towards understanding the role and the performance of broadband networks when the kind of world moved online, or at least a, a, a big chunk of the world moved online. And how did other national broadband networks hold up? And what were some of the concerns going on in the rest of the world? So, you know, kind of shifting gears from a, you know, solely U.S. focus, which is what I've been doing for the last few years, to, um, to understanding a more global issues of the rural-urban digital divide. Um, and, you know, other things, I'm getting married in December, and um, so lots to look forward to on the horizon for me. Yeah, you have a lot of lot of things in uh, what are the stickers in the pot? What do they call it? A lot of stickers in the the uh, the fire. I'm trying to think of something my dad would say. <laughs> a lot of uh, pots in the fire, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, we'll be watching you closely, and I would love to invite you on as new new uh, projects uh, start to transpire, and you want to talk about what you're learning. And we would love to have you back. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. And I'll just say, if anyone's listening, um, for all those who are listening, I love hearing broadband stories, you know, good broadband stories, frustrating broadband stories. So please do feel free to reach out to me um, on, on email or on Twitter. Um, and I'd love, I'd love to hear from, from 
anyone and everyone. And I think that's been one of the unexpected joys of doing this research and publishing um, a lot is that people just email me and tell me about what's going on with, with them and their broadband connectivity. And so please, I invite anyone and everyone who's listening to do the same. Well, we will include your Twitter handle in our description of our podcast. If you'd like, Dr. Ali, I can also include your email to make it easy for people to connect with you. That'd be wonderful. Thank you. All right. Um, Again, our guest today has been Dr. Christopher Ali, the author of Farm Fresh Broadband, The Politics of Rural Connectivity. As I said, I'll add links in the description of this podcast on how to purchase the book as well as how to, to reach out to Dr. Ali. I'm Jessica Denson. Thanks for listening to Connect a Nation. If you like our show and want to know more, head to connectanation.org or look for the latest episodes of Connect a Nation on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Pandora, or Spotify. 